Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. And my desire today is to preach a message entitled, Mother's Love. You know, our moms teach us a lot just by their instruction, by they, what they tell us to do, or by what they tell us not to do. For instance, I can remember growing up and mom would say, back up from the TV, you're going to go blind watching it that close. Let me share with you some things that moms will never say. Not things they do say, things they won't say. Number one, how on earth can you see the TV sitting so far back? Number two, hey, just leave all the lights in the house on. It makes the house look cheery. Number three, mostly the teenage boys. Let me smell that shirt. Yep, it's good for another week. Go ahead and, and, and uh, keep that stray dog, honey. I'll be glad to feed it and walk it and take care of it every day. Well, if Timmy's mom says it's okay, that's good enough for me. Teenagers, the curfew is just a general time to shoot for. It's not like I'm running a prison around here. Oh, I like this one. Don't say you've never done this. I don't have a tissue with me. Just use your sleeve. And then here's a good one for the weather. Don't bother wearing a jacket, honey. The wind chill is bound to improve. Those are things you don't hear moms say. Why? Because most of the time they're trying to protect us, trying to keep us healthy, trying to keep us safe. And they do that by offering good instruction. Well, this morning, I recognize that Mother's Day is twofold. First of all, it is a precious day, a time to say thank you to mom for all you've done, for all the times you've been there, for how you've taken care of me. That song was a perfect testimony to that. But I also recognize today is painful for those of you who've lost your mother. And you just long to hear her voice one more time, to maybe have a conversation with her one more time, or to say something you perhaps didn't get to say, or to see her face light up one more time. Maybe you're here today and you've lost a child. Or perhaps you're here and, and you had an abortion. You didn't know what to do. Or maybe you're here today and you're trying to have children. And it just doesn't seem to be happening. I have good news. There is a healer and his name is Jesus. And he's here today. And he knows your heart. And he knows the sense of your deepest pain and your deepest prayer request. And, and whatever's going on in your world. And he wants to meet you right where you're at. You don't have to run from God. Because if you do run from God, he'll keep chasing you. But what you can do is come to him. And I praise the Lord for this opportunity. God, would you have your way over the next few minutes? We recognize that we'll never get them back again. This is, this is it for, for 2021, May 9th. So, Lord, would you have your way? Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Our text is 1 Kings 13, starting with verse 16. But, Christy, I'm going to make my way to 16 if it's okay. We're going to begin with verse 1. 
and we're going to paint a picture as we take this journey to what a mother's love really looks like. We start with verse 1 in 1 Kings chapter 3, and the Bible says, Now Solomon. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh of Egypt. Who was Solomon? Solomon is now the king of Israel. Solomon is now king of Israel, the son of King David, who's Israel's all-time beloved king. So he's following a legacy, a legacy. And when you think about parents, our parents leave us legacies. And as a parent myself, and for those of you that are parents, what kind of legacy do you want to leave your kids? Or what kind of legacy do you want to leave your grandkids? I mean, I hope it would be a positive one, right? Now, when they see me snap at Meemaw, that's not the kind of thing I want them to remember. Did I say that? Let me take that back. When they see Meemaw snap at me, no, no, listen, sometimes we have to understand something. There is no perfect home, there is no perfect marriage, there is no perfect family. All of us are dysfunctional at best most of the time. That would be a great place to shout amen. And please try not to look at your spouse or your kids or something like that when you say that. Folks, listen. What you have to understand is we don't all always have it together all the time. I mean, we limp around from time to time, do we not? And we, and we stumble. Uh, I don't think she's in this service. Kathy Banks was at the prayer service the other night, and she said, Brother Greg, when you brought everybody up to pray, she said, I don't know what happened, but my ankle's been sore ever since that night I prayed. She goes, I feel like Jacob wrestling with the angel. And, and, I, and I didn't know what to say to her. I, I mean, do I say, Kathy, I'm sorry you hurt your ankle praying? I said, Kathy, don't let, don't let that ankle injury keep you from worshiping the Lord, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, listen, we all limp around from time to time. And, and I know what it's like. Put on a happy face when we come to church to at least make everybody think that we're okay, right? Certainly not going to cry. I'm certainly not going to go forward when Brother Greg preaches a message on marriage because then somebody might think that we need a little encouragement. That's pride. And until we get over stuff like that, we, we're not going to see God moving in our worship services. But we have to recognize that, that we all are crippled from time to time and we need encouragement and we need a little help. That's why we don't need to come to church and shoot each other and be critical of each other. What we need is a good word from the Word of God. Amen? And, and I thank God for that. So the Bible says Solomon is now king of Israel, and here's what he does. He makes a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. What does that mean? That means that the people who left bondage go back and make a treaty with the people who kept them in bondage. And the Bible says... He was so well thought of, he marries one of Pharaoh's daughters. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. So it's a picture of building his own home and building a temple. Meanwhile, until then, verse 2, 
the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. The high places, interesting thought. It's where pagan worship used to take place. The Canaanites left this now to Israel and they were using these areas to worship. But there was still a stigma attached to them of pagan worship. Verse 3, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense, where? At the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God asked, What shall I give you? Brothers and sisters, this morning, if God were to ask you, what can I give you, what would you and I ask for? And it's interesting that sometimes we treat God just like a genie in a bottle. And we rub the bottle, and if God comes through with our request, we keep on serving him. If God doesn't answer the, our request the way we want him to, we feel like God has somehow let us down, and we quit worshiping him the way we should. I want to tell you this morning... God is not limited to a bottle. As a matter of fact, God doesn't have to do anything I ask. But in his grace and mercy, he does. And he blesses. So the question is, what shall I give you, Solomon? And Solomon said, you've shown great mercy to your servant, David, my father. In essence, Solomon says, you've blessed my life, God. you blessed my family. Look at verse 6. You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father. He walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart. You have continued this great kindness for him. You have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. I believe Solomon is saying right here that this job is so much bigger than I am. There's so much to this, I do not know. This job is too big for me. Have you ever felt overwhelmed with the task that you've been given? I, I believe that's the way you ought to feel every time you preach. I believe it's the way you ought to feel every time you sing a solo. God, I need your help. If you don't come through, this is going to be a disaster. And when you get to the point in your life when you start relying on God for things... You're going to see God do some work in you that you never thought was possible. You see, you have to take yourself out of the throne of your life and say, God, you get in your rightful place in my life because I'm making a mess of everything. But he keeps going. He thanks God for his family. He says, this is, this is a big task. I don't know if I'm coming or going. Verse 8, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people, too, num too numerous and too numbered to be numbered or counted. Therefore, okay, here, what do you ask for? Give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. And the Bible says, what does it say in verse 10? The speech pleased the Lord. And here's what God says to him in verse 11. Because you have asked this thing, and you've not asked for a long life yourself, 
nor have you asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. I have given you a wise, understanding heart so that there's not been anyone like you and there'll never be a person like you to come. And I have also given you what you've not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any one like you among the kings of all your days. So if you walk in my ways, keep my statutes, my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And the Bible says, then Solomon awoke. It was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all of his servants. This morning, if you want to follow along in your notes, here's the first thing I want you to understand. Like a mother's love, Solomon's request was unselfish. The most unselfish people in this room are probably mothers. You give without getting. You know, Renee will go to Walmart and splurge and come back and say, I just splurged a little bit. I got some dryer sheets and some clothespins, and, and she lists all this little dinky stuff. Guys, when we splurge, we come home with a bass boat. I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. Mothers are happy with the little things in life. It's like the mother who fixes pie for dessert and recognizes there's six at the table but only five pieces of pie, and she says, you know what, kids, I'm really not hungry for pie. And she gives what she has so that somebody else, especially her children, can be blessed. But it doesn't stop, stop there. It doesn't stop there. You see, Solomon asked for an understanding heart so that he might help other people. That's where you see the unselfishness in this text. So that I can discern uh, between good and evil for the people. I need help. But it doesn't stop there. Like a mother's love, God keeps his promises. Amen? God keeps his promises. The Bible says in verse 13, And I have also given to you what you've not asked for. So I've given you what you've asked for, and I've given you what you've not asked for. I'm going to give you both riches and honor because you didn't ask for it. Boy, this tells me to be very careful what you ask for. I mean, to tell you the truth, you'd say, okay, Brother Greg, uh, what, what do you want? And I'd say, well, I, I don't want to live forever because I'm going to live forever. I'm not going to waste that on that. Jesus died. He paid for it. Amen? I'm going to heaven because of the cross. That my family would be saved. That my family would be saved. Some of you are the only lifeline that your lost family member has. Don't you give up on them. You might get mad at them from time to time. That's what families do, get mad. I mean, you get mad at me from time to time. I go home, tell Renee. Renee, <laughs> they, they don't, they don't, they're mad at me. Oh, Renee, what am I going to do? You're going to go to work tomorrow and be the pastor is what you're going to do. You know why? Because families sometimes disagree, but it doesn't keep us from being family. And it doesn't, it doesn't make you quit loving your family. 
It makes you recognize that we're different. But like a mother's love, God always keeps his promises. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad that the fact that when you said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that his promise of heaven is awaiting? Aren't you glad of the fact that Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it more abundantly so he'll walk with us in this thing called life? When you get saved, you're not by yourself. There's never a day in your life where you live by yourself and you're the only one doing it. God is with you. I thank God for that, that he keeps his promises. If you want to break the trust of your kids, tell them you're going to do something and not do it. If you want to lose the respect of your children, tell them you're going to discipline them and not do it. There's got to be consistency. Parents have to be teaching the same lesson. You can't have one say don't to the other while the other one's disciplining. There's got to be a unified team approach to raising a family. God keeps his promises. He says, I'll give you what you asked for, and I'll give you what you didn't ask for because your petition was from your heart. And it's interesting when you talk about unselfishness. Look at verse 15. He offers up this burnt offering, and the Bible says at the very end of it, and offers peace offerings, and he made a feast for his servants. There's where you get a picture of that unselfish love. Solomon says, let's, let's have a party and bring the servants in. Let's do it for somebody else. Number three, his generosity reminds us of the giving love of a mom. Always giving. But yet in this story, at this point, you would feel as if, okay, Solomon is equipped. He's ready. He's got what it takes now to make some good, tough decisions. Those of you with young children, I want you to think, or those of you, I want you to think back to the birth of your first child. Did you feel equipped when they wheeled you, your wife, to the car, put that, or strapped that bassinet car seat into the back seat and waved at you and said goodbye? It was almost like they were telling us at Miami Valley, good luck, good luck. Oh, and we got home, and I thought, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? And then I realized Renee carried most of the burden. There were many times at night, and men, do not act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Many times at night, I act like I was dead sound asleep. And if Renee wasn't getting it, then I would reposition my, pill my pillow And off she was so many times. He awakes from this dream and he's reminded that God has equipped him, listen, for verse 16. Here we go. Now two women who were harlots, those were prostitutes. The original language paints even a more clearer definition of who they were. And stood before him, King Solomon. One woman said, O my Lord, the woman I dwell in the same house with, I gave birth while she was in the house. And it happened three days later after I'd given birth that she also gave birth. We were together. No one was in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she laid on him. 
So she arose in the middle of the night, took my son from my side while your maidservant slept, and laid him in her bosom, and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. And the other woman says the exact opposite. Verse 23, the king says, he, he in essence summarizes what he's heard. This one says, this is my son who lives and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, but your son is the dead one and my son is the living one. This king who had prayed for wisdom says, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. And the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She's the mother. And all of Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. The love of a mother. Now here's what we know. There were two harlots, two prostitutes that come to the king. They lived together in the same business together. And I would say, most likely, Scripture doesn't say, but most likely may not even know who the fathers were. That didn't change the fact they loved their babies. One gave birth and three days later, another did and lost her child. They're now in front of Solomon. They now recognize a decision has to be made. This, this number four is for every leader in the church. It doesn't matter how long you're a leader, there are always going to be tough calls. Boy, sometimes I wish that weren't true, that statement. But it doesn't matter how long you've done something, there's always going to be a tough call to make. Hey, it doesn't matter how long you've been a parent. It doesn't matter how long you've been a mother, moms. Amen? Some of you worry more about your adult kids as much or more than you did when they were little. When they're little, you can control them. You can contain them. I mean, if you say you get in a bathtub, they're getting a, you, you eventually make them get there. I really don't know what that has to do with adult children. But you can't control decisions your adult kids make. I mean, you may be here today and you've raised them in church their entire life. And, and for the life of you, they don't want to go to church anymore. They think that they somehow can work life better without any God involved. And boy, the stuff you taught me, Mom, when I was little, that's fine. That, but, but I'm telling you, culture's changed so much. Let me tell you, that's a bunch of hogwash. The truth of the Scripture hasn't changed. Everybody needs God. And here we are thinking that uh, we're going to change everything in 2020 or 2022 by a vote and make America spiritual again, it's not going to happen in D.C. It's only going to happen in the life of a believer, and that makes up the local church. We get serious about God in our communities and our churches, you're going to see a difference in this nation. But it starts in the family. And as long as you're a leader, as long as you're a parent, there's always going to be a tough call to make. 
So, what does he do? We're taught a lesson by two unlikely candidates. One loses a child, and another rightfully wants their baby. Here we go, number five. A mother's love is recognizable. A mother's love is recognizable. What do you mean? Well, she recognized that the baby that had been placed in her bosom was not her child. Folks, I want to tell you something. Some of you came to church today for this, especially those of us who have adult kids. Your kids, your adult children need to hear you say some things again. What do you mean? Well, we spend our kids' young years clapping for everything they do. Everything they do, good or bad. They'll bring a picture home from school that's unrecognizable. And it goes on my office door or on the refrigerator at home, and we are so proud. Are we not, parents? We're so proud of that. Went to a t-ball game yesterday. They don't keep score in t-ball. What are you saying, Brother Greg? Everybody scores. What do you mean? I mean this. My grandson's up to bat. He could hit a ground ball to first base. The first baseman touched the base 30 feet before he gets there, and he still goes to first and stands on it like that's the best single I've ever hit in my life. And then the next guy gets a hit, he runs to second, he don't go to third, they stop at every single base. And every time he would get to a base, he was doing this. I thought, how proud am I as a papal? We spend all of our kids' young days applauding them. Listen to me, this one's going to hurt. And then, when they become adults, they can't do one thing to please us. They don't parent the way I like it. They don't cook the kind of food they should be cooking. They don't do this or they don't dress them this way or we don't do that. And we wonder why we discourage parents. Or we wonder why they don't want to come around. You see, unselfish love gives and unselfish love is recognizable. Number six, a loving mother knows her child. She knows the differences, the features, what makes each, what makes each one's tick, what their personality is, what they like and what they don't like. And a mother kind of tailors things around to help that child. So Solomon acts on godly wisdom. Boy, who would have thought of this? Bring me the child. Let's just cut the child right down the middle. It didn't take the, the mother whose child that was but a second to speak up. And I believe that Solomon recognized who that was and, and who that child belonged to. It didn't take him long to create the judgment. The Bible says she yearned with compassion. She pleaded. She pleaded. But the other said, let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. 
I'm going to tell you, there's a contrast there in self-centeredness and a giving spirit. You see, one was about what's in it for the child. The other was what's in it for me. What's in it for me. Number seven, the love of a mother is a protective love. It's not selfish. It's not deceitful. It doesn't hurt others for its own gain. Gain. And the Bible says when this verdict was rendered by Solomon that all of Israel heard the judgment which the king had rendered and they feared the king and they saw the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Let me tell you something. God doesn't give you something for you to get patted on the back about. God gives us things to be glorified with. And in the wisdom of Solomon... I don't know, maybe if he had given Solomon just riches, then maybe Solomon would have thought that somehow he created the riches. Or maybe if it's just honor, maybe Solomon somehow would want to take credit for it. And God says, no, the way I'm going to get the real glory is by giving you wisdom. And everyone else will see it. Some of you today need your mom. She's alive, but you're distant. Some of you have hurt your mother, or you've been hurt by your mom. Some of you need to ask for forgiveness. Some of you need to give it in exchange. Or maybe you're holding a grudge. Maybe God's calling upon you to to take the first step. You say, what do you mean, Brother Greg? I'm saying that we're one step away from making a decision that could help our life. If you're here and you've never given your heart to Jesus, you're not a Christian, you're one step away from life-changing decision. To know that you're, you're not alone in this world, that there's a God who loved you and died on Calvary's cross so that you could be forgiven and have hope. That's the good news. That's the good news. I close with this. There was a beautiful young mother in New York City. And when she went back into the room where her little infant slept, she recognized that there was a fire. The firemen got there quickly, but she was all about saving her child. They got there, tried to hold her back. She burst through their arms back into that room, and in doing so, burned her face so horribly bad that it disfigured her for life. She was comforted, though, knowing that she would have a little girl that would grow up. And the little girl did grow up. She turned into a beautiful young lady. They didn't do a whole lot together, but one day they went on a little ride up the river. There were some friends involved, and the girls were up front, and her mom seemed to stay toward the back. But something brought them together up front. And as she approached... One of the friends said, who is this hideous-looking woman? And very softly, her daughter replied, I don't know. It was a low tone, but she could hear it. And that broke her heart that there would be such ingratitude from a daughter for whom she sacrificed so much. 
and I want to just close the book here and say shame on her but the truth is how much ingratitude have we shown Jesus Christ who loved us died on the cross for us paid the debt for our sin and yet we continue to live life sometimes as if we don't know him we might do it out of convenience or don't want anybody to persecute us or certainly don't want anybody to to make us accountable you see a mother's love is a picture of the love of God and as much as your mom's love you loved you and love you today God loves you even more than that every head bowed every eye closed and just stand softly if you will